Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? We're back. We're ready. We're doing this. And we've got a special guest, guitarist, and member of one of my favorite Philly bands of all time, Everyone Everywhere, Tommy Manson. Yeah! Hi, everybody. Tommy. Now, this is exciting, one, because... We have another Tommy on the show, right? Yeah, that that rarely happens, I must say. That's never happened. So so we'll say Tommy D and Tommy M to to differentiate so as not to confuse the audience. <laughs> that sounds good. So Tommy, welcome to the show. It's it's great to have you here. I, I don't think I've spoken to you in in a long time. In fact, when I was messaging you to uh to come on the show, I saw like our Twitter exchange from 2012 when I said I was moving. I was like, wow, look at that. Time flies. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. even go back. I got so excited about uh, the the uh, DM on Twitter and coming on the podcast that I just, I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even look. You're, you're um, going to have to go back and do that right when this is done. I will. Um, <laughs> I must say, I didn't realize that uh, Everyone Everywhere was one of your favorite Philadelphia bands of all time, so that puts a lot of pressure on me right now. Big time. I have a, a very grueling set of questions that I'm going to be asking, and if they're not answered exactly correct, um, <laughs> you'll, you're forever banned from the show. Oh, boy. I don't want to tarnish uh, whatever minimal legacy we have in, in your, your eyes, at least. No, I'm just messing with you. Uh, I, I'm going to get to my fawning over everyone everywhere later in the interview, but... First, I want to start with some basic stuff. Now, you know, as you know, of course, we've been in uh, COVID lockdown, and I like to see where everybody's at. Tell me, tell me what you do day to day in your in your life, like for work and everything, and how you are affected by this pandemic. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been working from home since uh, I think it was like March thirteenth or fifteenth. Um, so I work in the film industry, have been in the film industry probably since around 2008 or 2009. Uh, Brendan, the lead singer of Everyone Everywhere, actually got me into um, production accounting, so oh, film nice. industry accounting. So he started out in that um, and got me into it. And then um, I've just kind of stuck with it, and I guess that's what my career is now. Um, I used to be freelance, just kind of hopping from project to project, but currently I'm working uh, directly for and exclusively for a local Philadelphia area director, and that's all I'll say, but you could probably connect the dots there. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, there, yes. I, don't there, I don't think there's maybe more than one. I was going to say, um, I only know one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably who you're thinking of. Um, yes. But we, we were actually in production. Um, we just had finished up 
seasons, uh, episode six of season two of a TV series that we've been working on and um, before the lockdown began. So um, all of production has kind of been at a standstill. Mm-hmm. So um, I've just been working from home, but I, I do personal finances and some other things as well. So I've been staying busy, but um, I have a an extra room in my house. So uh, we kind of turned that into an office. I have everything set up here. I got you know my dork accounting set up with multiple monitors and my <laughs> my ten my ten key adding machine and a bunch of paperwork and stuff like that. Um, so basically, I've been doing uh, all my work from home. Um, I'm here. I got two dogs, two cats, and my wife. So it's kind of a full house. Uh, so you know, definitely no. I know a lot of people kind of have been going stir crazy if if they're by themselves or they don't have anybody to communicate with or be with. So it's 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 been not terrible in regards to that because I still kind of feel like I have a little bit of a social life because I have you know. Megan and the dogs and stuff. Um, but basically, my Monday through Friday, I'm just doing my, my desk job. Um, I actually can probably get all my work done in like five hours as opposed to like eight or ten. Mm-hmm. So I feel a lot more efficient. Um, and then I just have been playing a lot of video games. That's kind of Now, that's, that's a question I just want to start asking every guest if they game. Now, do you, do you play Call of Duty at all? You know, I don't play Call of Duty. Um, I was a big, big Counter Strike guy back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, talking like early two thousands. Um, built my own computer and did did Counter Strike and did the land parties and all that stuff. Um, but I I haven't really gotten into the world of like online gaming with other people, mostly because I'm like really nervous about that, and yeah. uh, I'm definitely afraid of the younger kids making fun of me and uh, calling me names and things like that. Um, but I, I, I've just been playing a lot of Switch and PS4, but mostly games that are just kind of self-contained, not online games or anything. Um, like I beat, uh, finally beat Red Dead Redemption 2 a few weeks ago. That was um, probably my second, if not my, well, definitely my top three of all-time favorite games. I was legitimately depressed when I finished it because I didn't have a whole lot going on in my life at the time. And you know how in that game, like you build an entire life, you have friends you can visit with, you have stuff you have to do. You build like an entire life. And I spent every Saturday afternoon and sometimes more days playing it for months and months and months. And when it was done, I was like, Oh my God, what's next? Yeah. Um, I, I got ambushed, um, during the game and that was the only time that my horse died in the game yes and it was basically i was probably three quarters of the way through the game if not more and um i remember it so clearly when it happened i don't even know i didn't even know he died i just kind of like respawned and then my my horse wasn't there and I had yeah. to go back and get my saddlebags and I legitimately <laughs> teared up and I was very, very upset when my horse died and I tried everything going back into save files and going back and this and that and there was just like no way around it. He just died and like, I had that no was, idea that was it. it was possible for me to care about a fake horse, but that oh. same thing happened to me early in the game and I was like, oh my God, I, I care. What happened? And then yeah. I went I went up in the mountains and got one of those rare white horses. 
And thankfully, yeah. thankfully, I held on to it until the end. You know what? I, I had one of those horses at the time um, that my horse, I named him Benny after my cat. Uh, after when Benny died, I had one of those horses, and I wasn't even playing with that. I forget what that the white horse is called, the the really, you know, rare special one or whatever. Um, but I didn't even care that I had that horse. I knew it was better, but I wasn't even playing with it. So then when Benny died, I was just like, I guess I'll use this really good horse. I don't know, <laughs> but like I didn't want to use it. It was it was really weird. It is. It is. I get so invested in these games, and I, I ask about Call of Duty because I'm I'm trying to expand my Call of Duty network. I'm determined to get a number one Warzone win. I've come in second. I've come in third, <laughs> but I I just I just haven't done it yet. So I so I always ask. The only thing I can relate to that on is: Do you ever see the never-ending story? Yes. <laughs> when that horse Artax dies, <laughs> it's like that, dude. Dude, it's like my- that. My daughters made me turn the movie off when that part happened. They were like, Daddy, turn this off. Turn it off. And I was like, okay. Like, they literally were like, the horse it's is real. I mean. It's traumatizing. It, it is traumatizing. I was, I was very upset. It's, it's exactly like that. Um, and then recently, I just beat um, Last of Us Part 2. Um, yes, no spoilers. I, no spoilers. I will say... Um, so I pre-ordered the game and it preloaded onto the PlayStation. So I played it from day one. Um, I played through it twice now, and that's the first and only game that I beat at a hundred percent and got like the platinum trophy for. Um, wow. Like I was just obsessed with that game. Um, but if you like the first one, you're gonna love this one. It's just it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. I can't um, wait. That's next on my list. I'm working through Final Fantasy VII remake now, and then. Last of Us 2 is next. Yeah, um, so my wife and I basically take turns on, because we only have one PlayStation, on on who who basically gets really invested into a game at a time. Yeah. So she actually had just beaten um, Final Fantasy 7, and then um, a couple weeks went by, we weren't really playing too much, and then Last of Us came out. So basically it was like two or three weeks of her just playing Final Fantasy 7 nonstop, and then me playing Last of Us 2 nonstop. So we kind of have like a good cycle going. She actually just downloaded um, Skyrim a few hours ago. Oh, um, shit, and, yeah. And she's getting back into that now because I don't think she's played it since like the old Xbox or whatever. It must um, be so- cool to to have a wife who games because my, my girlfriend hates video games. And uh, it will be good because you have something in common, but then bad because you have to share the PlayStation. Yeah, I was actually on Craigslist today looking at PlayStations. <laughs> yeah, she she made the joke saying that we're going to need two PlayStations now because we're playing so much. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's it's cool. And I like watching other people play and, and she does as well, which I think works you know, perfectly for this situation. Um, we both kind of liken it to watching a movie. So I'm That's totally awesome. fine with just watching her play for a few hours at a time. And, and she's completely fine with me playing it's you know you always see the memes online of the boyfriend playing the playstation and you know the girlfriend being all like upset or whatever yeah you know it's not like that so i'm I'm very i'm very thankful for that well keith you just you just watch the final fantasy like clips right sometimes like the ones that are all like clipped together so it's like kind of like watching a movie before i played final fantasy 7 remake i watched a almost six hour youtube video that someone made of the original Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> and it's just like all the dialogue and scenes and everything. So it's like a big, long movie. 
it was great. It, it was incredible. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna shift the focus now because I could talk about video games probably for an entire two hours, but <laughs> I don't I don't know if our dedicated audience wants yeah, to hear they're gonna about be like, that. What the fuck? Yeah, let's let's uh, have a have a larger appeal here. So, do you where do you live, Tommy? Do you live in Fishtown? Yeah, I guess you can call it Fishtown. Um, outskirts of Fishtown. You know, I I don't even know. I'm sure if you ask the locals, it's not Fishtown, but in in the general Fishtown area, yeah. Did you ever live, do you remember that legendary, like, five-point corner in Fishtown? Like, I think, like, three people from Centerfuse lived there, and Gary Shaw lived there, and Loco Pez was there? Yes. So, um, I lived there initially. So, initially, everyone everywhere had um, a warehouse at uh, 6th and Girard above um, Everybody Hits. Everybody Hits wasn't there at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. We were kind of the first people to have that warehouse, and it's latest iteration um so when when the time came we kind of got kicked out by l and i over there because we weren't supposed to be living there yeah um so me brendan from everyone everywhere and uh a couple other friends we moved into um a house at the you know the forks they call it in fishtown um at a house there probably around like I don't know, 2008 or 2009. And, you know, Gary Shaw lived right down the block. Um, yeah. A couple other centerfuge people lived nearby. Um, and it was right before Loco Pez opened. I think it was maybe six months before Loco Pez opened. It used to be called um, The Crazy Fish. The Crazy Fish was there for like a couple months. It was just a local dive bar. Oh, then yeah. They I forgot about that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they closed and then Loco Pez opened up and, you know, kind of kept the same name um but i lived there for maybe five years and then um my wife and i she lived with us briefly when we were dating and then we got our own place together and um now we're up you know we kind of haven't left the general area since then those were good times i mean crazy times for me gary and i got ourselves into well not so much gary but i got myself into a lot of trouble all the time and uh you know it was uh yeah it was good i miss it when i see people post pictures down there and stuff i'm like oh man it feels like a lifetime ago yeah um it's it's kind of crazy to think about you know especially i i think of the days of when we had that warehouse where um we kind of all live i think there was like 12 of us in there at one point um but that feels like so long ago and i i mean i guess it kind of was it was you know probably about 12 13 years ago whatever it is but yeah man it was just ridiculous back then i mean it it almost felt like at that era in philadelphia there were just like no rules so i'm going to take us back even further so i can learn more about your background where did you grow up um so i grew up in bucks county in ben salem so you're a Ben Salem kid. I didn't know I'm that. I'm a Ben Salem kid, yeah. So I'm a Bristol-Levittown kid. Okay. Uh, yeah. There you go. My mom actually just moved to Bristol. She um, is in the process of selling our childhood home, and she actually just moved into... She got a condo in um, in Bristol, so so she's, she's now there. But uh, yeah, grew up in Ben Salem, not too far from Palanca Park. Um, went to Ben Salem High School, so... Um, you know, kind of had the privilege of going to all those crazy Palenka Park shows since I was probably way too young to be going to them. <laughs> nice. How do you remember how old you were when you like the first ones you went to? Um, so I will say the first local DIY show that I went to, um, I was probably twelve years old 
mm-hmm. and it was in uh, Tim Nid's parents' basement. So if you know Tim Nid from the band The, the Nids. Nids, yeah. Um, so that was the very very first show that I went to, um, and then I, I kind of uh, that that was kind of the beginning of me finding out about kind of the DIY punk culture kind of in the area. Um, yeah. But I, I was always friends with older kids, so it was you know I was always the younger kid hanging out, so they kind of already kind of knew exactly what was going on. They knew all of the shows, all of the venues and things like that. So I was kind of just tagging along with them. Um, but that that was the first show that I went to. I can't remember all the bands that played there, but I remember it being crazy. Um, my friend Steve that took me there, he said, man, I can't wait for the mosh pit. <laughs> and like I had no idea what that was at the time. And I was starting to get nervous. And I was like, oh, man, like what are you talking about? And he was like, the mosh pit. I was like, I don't know what that is, man. Like, what is it? And he wouldn't tell me. So I was really, really nervous. I remember the entire time that his parents were driving us to the show because he, like, wasn't telling me what it was. And I thought it was going to be this, like, weird, crazy thing. I mean, it was like a 20-foot by 20-foot basement in, like, a suburban home. Yeah. And we get there and, you know, a mosh pit starts and kids start dancing and moshing and stuff like that. And and then I kind of realized what it was. But I remember the entire day leading up to it because I was kind of like a, a nervous, you know, kind of like nerdy kid growing up. I never really got in too much trouble or anything like that when I was very young. Yeah. And uh, so I like had no idea what to expect. Um, but that that was like the first introduction, I would say, into kind of like the house show era. Yeah, the, and some of those mosh pits you back then, you, you could actually get killed, like especially at palanca park shows oh or, yeah or like definitely. philly shows you had to know exactly where to stand and who to stay away from and you know it was it was like crazy it was like a For weird sure. ca- it was like a weird calculus you had to do in your head of like okay this person's here this person's here if i go like three people back from like the left hand side of the stage no one's gonna jump from that side because the pa is there like you literally had to kind of <laughs> make sure that you were in a place like unless you were going to go actually in and go and dance like once you went in it's like you you're taking your life in your hands i remember uh buried alive played the kill time it was this legendary show with morser and conversion and buried alive was just sound checking and i got like roundhouse kicked and like flew through the air and hit a wall like it was just (laughs) just during the sound check um the the earliest show i remember of just of 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 kind of the realization of wow something crazy might happen or we might get in trouble or we might get killed or something like that was um the spring fling fest i don't know if you oh, went that, to that that was bobby yeah. yeah 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 um but that was an insane like i can't even imagine being there now like uh, my parents just dropping me off i remember and like they had no idea what was going on in there. And I mean, you know, granted, everything was relatively safe. And especially me as like a younger kid, um, I forget how old I was then, but probably like, you know, 12 years old or 13, 14, you know, somewhere around there, definitely 14 or younger. Um, But I felt like everybody kind of was looking out for me because, and I also looked very, very young. Um, So I feel like a lot of people did kind of look out for me as this, 
younger kid and they're like okay or you know we're gonna make sure that he doesn't get hurt or you know people are gonna kind of protect me a little bit but that was the first time i mean it was just wall-to-wall people um it just seemed like that there was way too many people for the room <laughs> and there probably people, was oh no there 100 probably was, was. <laughs> uh people going crazy people dancing i mean like that that was the one show where i just kind of was like whoa this place is really cool and what's going on right now is something awesome <laughs> that's awesome so yeah that was my experience too i was i was younger than everybody i was hanging out with i looked even younger than i actually was you know it was like so maybe maybe people were like oh we can't kill him because we'll, we'll end up in jail he's like 12 yeah it was... well i i also wasn't a trouble seeker at the time either i was very scared of everything at the time and i just kind of stayed out of the way and i would i would I would usually never even like sing along or go into the pit because I was just afraid of getting like, you know, destroyed. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of similar to how I was. Yeah, um, and I I filmed a lot of shows back then too, so I, I was pretty much doing that the whole time. So, what did what music grabbed you at first? Was it was it hardcore? Was it emo? Was it everything? It was kind of a bit of everything. So, uh, like I mentioned before, I was always friends with some some older kids, and I got into music very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, I guess, kind of like my favorite stories. I'm I've only told it to friends. I haven't, you know, posted about it or you know talked to anybody about it or like interviews or anything. But um, so growing up, it's like maybe like twelve years old or whatever. Um, you know, I was into a lot of the corny stuff like corn and you know limp biscuit and things oh, like yeah. that or whatever yeah um just kind of stuff that i could get my hands on as a kid kind of like the mainstream stuff but right. then i was also into um you know a lot of the more punk stuff or more underground stuff that like older kids would give me or friends would give me or whatever so um you know whether it was like fugazi or propagandi or you know anti-flag or you know kind of whatever that stuff was um but one of my favorite local bands was sunday drive Mm -hmm. um so uh kenny from the starting line they they later became the starting line Um, oh right yeah so so they were like one of my favorite bands i think they were from like horsham or whatever but i would see them play all the time and kenny actually gave me i think it was like a burn copy or maybe just one song he sent me online or something because we used to talk on aim too which was like really really weird um but uh (laughs) i feel like everybody like kind of talked on aim back then and it was just like they did and i would i would like message random bands and people i didn't even know and like i don't know with weird stuff it was like yeah it was like a whole thing yeah and i remember like reading liner notes and stuff like that and trying to find somebody that had like an at aol.com address exactly. and then, like trying to like instant message them yeah and i think on like a sunday drive demo it was like you know sunday it was like sunday drive without the vowels at aol.com or whatever so i messaged them one day and i started talking to kenny and then like i don't know like why this like 16 year old kid was like talking to me anyway but like he gave me a bunch of like cool music i guess because i was a fan and mm-hmm. um but he gave me uh an an american football either like burn cd or mp3s or something i can't remember um so at the time when i was like 12 years old or 13 listening to stuff like corn and whatever like i also had these random cds like american football so i was listening to 
American football from like a very, very early age. And then that was kind of like my first introduction to emo. Mm -hmm. And then through um, Napster and Soulseek and, um, you know, LimeWire, whatever, the, the greatest, you know, downloading website was at the time uh, when everyone got shut down um you would always like search for like keywords or whatever or, or you would download a title and it would have like a ton of different just like keywords in it um but i was downloading some american football stuff and there were like some like early demos and things like that but um they had all of these tags on it that were like the promise ring um braid uh stuff like that so then i started downloading um, you know, those bands and I got into that stuff kind of early, but it was kind of like also all the meanwhile while I was listening to like shitty new metal. So yeah. <laughs> it, it was just like, I didn't know any better, you know, being yeah. so young, but, um, I'm grateful that I was able to kind of get into decent stuff as well as, uh, you know, while I was listening to super shitty music. Yeah, I, I, I would always jump. It was like all or nothing with me. I listened, I was listening to new metal. I liked Korn and the the first Limp Bizkit record. Then I discovered hardcore and that was it. That was all I listened to. Everything else went out the window. Then I listened to emo and that was it. That was all I listened to. And, you know, eventually I just didn't give a shit anymore and I listened to whatever. But it was it was always all or nothing. Like when I jumped from one genre to the next. Yeah, and um, just growing up, um, some of my um, close friends in like the Bucks County area were in um, sometime in April, Set Ablaze, you know, kind of like that crew. Um, so I was always into hardcore music as well, metal music as well. But um, you know, emo is definitely from a very very young age. This the kind of music that I sort of gravitated towards. So, it, yeah, it's amazing how many people were connected through that scene in Bucks County, and we just never knew it. Like, I've had a lot of people on here who, and who have contacted us who I just never knew, and even you. Like, I was at all those shows. I never knew you. I was a little older, but, like, it's just crazy, like, the, the sheer amount of people. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, looking back at a lot of those shows and the people and things like that, and even bands and stuff like that that are still around, people that are still around today doing music industry stuff or whatever like a lot of them came from that area um but it's it's definitely a strange thing to look back on and kind of realize how weird or special that it was because i mean it, it really was if you think about it like the 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 size of the shows that took place in bucks county the amount of bands that played like big name bands and yeah. things like that i mean it was like i i, I don't think it was necessarily going on all across the country like that. So we were definitely in a cool little pocket. There was a weird thing. Vadim posted it, I mean, probably four or five years ago, and it was just all of his collection of stuff from, like, the Bucks County scene. And it had, like, I remember it was, like, 250 comments or something like that, and it was just all these people being like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. But it was, like, a picture of, like, a Life Once Lost demo and Peter Parker, Suffering Truth, um, Dislike, Scarred for Life, um, Five Stars for Failure. It was like a bunch of just demos and shit like that. He just threw pictures up and like all these people were just tagging people and commenting and it was like, shit, dude, there's like something here. Like there's such a close group of people that are all connected by just this one small – what at the time we all thought was this teeny tiny scene of like just our friends. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was 
looking back on it, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, and especially kind of the early days of the internet, or maybe time when there really wasn't the internet. Um, but of just being able to pull all of that stuff off um, was was kind of remarkable. Absolutely, yeah. I like going to record stores to find flyers to find out what shows to go to, or word of mouth, or you know, it's just like it seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Yeah, um, what, and I was lucky enough to, uh, growing up, I had a dad um, who was super supportive and, and was really interested in taking me to a bunch of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, like, was he would drive me, and it was either just me and him or, like, me, my sister, and him. But he had no problem, like, driving us, like, a couple hours in, you know, any direction to, to go to a show. But um, in 2001, I remember... Um, he drove us to a show at Club Chrome. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> oh, that yeah. place. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Club Chrome, because Thursday was playing. Uh, um, yes. So it was, it was around my birthday. Um, so it was, it, it was like July 14th, July 15th at Club Chrome. But it was Thursday, Boy Sets Fire, Rise Against, and The Movie Life. And maybe wow. some other bands. I feel like it was like one of those like showcase, like label showcase things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we we drove out that way, and I guess it was maybe like an hour away, hour hour and twenty minutes. I I can't quite remember. Um, but we we drove up there, and that was the very early days of the internet, and um, we didn't buy tickets in advance or anything like that. Um, we just kind of showed up, and it was sold out. But oh. we were there. We were there a little bit early. Um, cause we were anticipating buying tickets. Um, so we got there three hours early. Nobody was there yet. Um, besides like the bands loading in and the, uh, you know, the, the, the place said that they were sold out of tickets. So my dad was like, okay, um, it's me and my sister there. Uh, he was like, all right guys, just wait here. So we're waiting out front by the car and he goes around to the back and he takes an empty cardboard box from the garbage can and walks through the back door. Just, I guess, you know, the expression, you know, walk in like you own the place. Yeah. He walked in like you own the place with an empty cardboard box, I guess, pretending that he was delivering something. I don't know. Managed to find somebody in some band. I, I still to this day don't know who it was. Um, managed to find somebody in some band that was playing told them the situation that we drove from Philadelphia an hour or some away and um, he was out there with a, a, a you know 13 year old kid and a 16 year old girl and uh, we drove all that way and we really wanted to see the bands and it was sold out so then the band whatever whoever he talked to just put us on the guest list and we were able to get in that way wow. um, but <laughs> like that was the kind of dad I had growing up. Where, that where is he a kinda, great dad. Yeah, yeah. He Jeez. he kind of did whatever he had to to you know get it. I mean, I guess a little bit was uh, in his self, own self interest, so he wasn't you know turning around and driving another hour and a half home, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for nothing. Um, but I mean, he would do stuff like that to us. I remember going down to Maryland, you know, up to North Jersey, down to Philadelphia, you know, like wherever. But he he would. You know, he had no problem taking us to shows and getting us in or whatever he had to do. So, I mean, I I started young. I mean, I was going to some, um, you know, going to the Rotunda, going to places like that when I was very young with my dad because the city shows when I was that young, my parents would let me go by myself. Okay, that yeah, that's that's excellent. Uh, you got a you you got an early start. 
Yeah, if I had asked my dad to like drive me to Maryland for a show, he'd be like, "What? Like, are, are you serious?" <laughs> so Tommy, when Tommy M, when do you first pick up a guitar? And what what were some of were you in other bands before Everyone Everywhere? Because that's when I met you through Everyone Everywhere and Centrifuge and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, same age, you know, probably eleven, twelve years old is when I picked up a guitar, and my my dad had played a little bit. Um, so he had an acoustic guitar that was like up in the attic when I told him I wanted to start playing guitar and, and he kind of got it out of the attic for me and tuned it up. And, um, after he saw that I was playing it for, you know, a few weeks, a few months and not, um, giving up on it and, you know, kind of progressing a little bit, we got one of those, like, you know, whatever it was, like the Ibanez starter packs at like Guitar Center or whatever it was, the little mini amp in the guitar. And Yeah. Um, but I, I never took lessons or anything. I was always self-taught, um, whether it was, you know, books at, um, you know, the music store. I, I always went to like Pat's Music on Street Road in Ben Salem. Um, so like, uh, you know, buy the music book with like the CD and follow along and uh, whatever. So probably around like 12 years old, 11 of when I first picked up a guitar, um, and I pretty much started bands right after that. Um, so my first band that I was in didn't have a name, um, but uh, it was like kind of like an emo band, mm-hmm. and it was just me, and I played all the instruments, and I re- recorded it like direct into my computer, like some Windows 95, very, wow. very shitty computer, and... Um, I had like a keyboard with a drum machine on it and I and I kind of like recorded that with a microphone. So it sounded really, really bad and there was no vocals on it. But um, it was kind of like, if I look back on it now, it's similar guitars to what I play in Everyone Everywhere. Kind of more <laughs> like twinkly going into distortion and fuzz into like clean guitars. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely that like American football kind of style of guitars that I was trying to do at like a very very young age um and then like the first band that I had we were called um Stars Apart and that was like we we played a bunch of shows just in Ben Salem or whatever I think we played Palanca Park once and and some other stuff mm-hmm. um but that that was in my middle school from like probably like sixth to eighth grade um just some of me and my best friends just playing and we were awful i was the singer and i cannot sing and it was i I have my mom while she was moving um she found a tape of me playing at my sister's birthday party outdoors at my uh, childhood house growing up and it is awful man i mean it's just like (laughs) it's just so embarrassing and you know, usually I don't get embarrassed of stuff that I did when I was younger, but I'm definitely embarrassed of this. I mean, it was like, it was very, very bad. So you don't uh, want us to post it on our YouTube channel? You know what? I'll, I'll find a clip of it and we can post it. Uh, let's but let's that, do that, that. We'll throw a clip up on Instagram. But 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 that band also played um, Scooter's Skate Palace. Do you remember that place in New Jersey? No. no. Oh, man. It, it was another place. It was a skating rink. It was called Scooter's. Um, and, uh, we played that, but their shows didn't start till 10 PM. So my parents legitimately drove me as like a 14 year old kid, whatever, however old I was, um, out to somewhere in Jersey, maybe 45 minutes away 
to play a show that started at 10 p.m. of this band that I was in and the singer of that was horrible. And I have footage of that, too. And I'll see if I could dig some of that up. But, I mean, that was just excruciating, um, looking back on that stuff. It was it was very bad. But, um, you know, at this, it was kind of the same thing. About, we were always the younger kids that looked a lot younger than we actually were. So we looked like we were 10. So we always kind of, you know, nobody really made fun of us. I mean, if... if the internet was around back then. I mean, we would have been just, you know, slaughtered. <laughs> just meme after meme. It, it, it was like that bad. Um, and then um, in high school, I started playing in a band called Razorblade Romance. Um, mm-hmm. We had the unfortunate circumstance of starting that band right before him came out with their album titled Razorblade Romance. Um, so it was really bad timing for us because everybody thought we were just like a uh, a hymn cover band, which is uh, <laughs> not good. And, you know, that was the era where, like, Jackass was really popular and stuff like that. So, like, you know, him had that, like, you know, in Bam, Mar- Bam Margera always was, like, obsessed with him, and they came out with this new album. So it was like, you know... That's the only kinda... association I have with him is like Bam Margera. You know, it's funny. Tommy D almost quit the podcast because uh, the legend, the legendary Hum came out with a new album recently. Fantastic. Oh, I'm very <laughs> familiar. Fantastic album, by the way. So I, I text Tommy about it and I'm like, yo, like autocorrect said him though. So I was like, yo, new him album. And he... <laughs> And it's he's like, like, I'm like, wait, the hardogram oh dudes, those dudes, like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Yo, I'm so excited about the new Him album. You gotta check it out. It's the best thing since Razorblade Romance. In my head, I'm going like, I gotta talk to Keith. Like, we might need to have like an intervention or something. Like, are you like whacked out again? Like, fuck, man. Like, that's you, you're you're hyped about him. Like, really? Is he dude? back on it? Is he yeah, back on you're it? Back Is he on- okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I uh, Razorblade Romance band in um high school, I guess you could say and that that was pretty much throughout you know, ninth through 11th, 12th grade. My before I could drive, my parents used to drop me off. Um the rest of those bandmates were um in Morrisville. Um so my mom used to drop me off at um my friend's house in Morrisville on Friday night after school. I would bring up my computer. We would play Counter Strike. Uh, set up like a, he he had cable internet, which was sick because I had fifty six k. So I would bring up my whole computer and big monitor and stuff like that. Um, and we would basically just play like Counter Strike and play music all weekend long. And then she would pick me up on like Sunday night. Um, but that was like probably ninth through tenth grade, ninth and tenth grade. And then I got my license. Um, you know, and and would would just drive and come back on like the same day or whatever. Um, but so ninth and tenth grade, that that was most of you know my weekends were just going up and playing in that band, and and we got into um, how we made money in high school was we actually started our own like small recording studio at my friend's house, and my friend Ian who. Um, whose house I would go to at the time. I mean, that's what he does as a profession now. So he kind of like took what we did growing up of making our own home recording studio at his house. And he kind of just ran with it and that's how he makes money now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was into, you know, recording ourselves and, um, writing music, playing music, stuff like that. Um, you know, really into the home recording stuff, um, from, you know, probably since I was like 14 years old. Um, and then, um, Went to college. I didn't play guitar. I always go through these spurts of not 
touching my guitar for years or not playing music for years and i'm i'm currently in one of those yeah that that happens to me too there i it used to bum me out because i and band would end it i'd be like oh that's it no band ever again no music i'm done but i've realized it, it, it's always like a lot of years between bands for me so now i just i just wait for it to pop back up again yeah it's 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 many years so um then i i uh started school at temple i went to temple and then um that's basically through centerfuse i met um, Brendan, the lead singer of Everyone Everywhere, I just I saw he posted something, um, and then I clicked on his profile, and he had like a link to his MySpace with some Everyone early Everyone Everywhere songs, and I checked it out, and it was like kind of sounded like Hey Mercedes, um, you know that that kind of style of music, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I messaged him, and I was just like, hey man, like, are you guys playing any shows? Um, you know, what's the deal with that band Everyone Everywhere? I listen to your stuff, it's good. And he basically was just like, oh, that was just kind of like a project me and my friends did over winter break, you know, like over Christmas break while mm-hmm. we were like home from college or whatever. Um, but we're, that's not an actual band. Um, but thanks. And I just wow. messaged him back and I was like, well, like these songs are really good. I think we should do something <laughs> with them. Like I go to Temple, you go to Temple, you know, if you ever want to, hang out jam play these songs write new songs we should do it and then that's like kind of how everyone everywhere started so i messaged him on centerfuse i listened to some demos that he had recorded with um some other band members and then we basically started it so it was brendan on vocals the other brendan on drums and then it was me and then um i learned all of the songs and then we started writing new songs and then um, the other two band members, they had a, a, a bass player and a guitar player. They were just around for like that winter. They didn't go to Temple. They went to like other schools. So they weren't even around. So basically I was replacing one of the other guys and then Matt Scottaline, um, who's in that uh, band Hurry. Yeah. Um, they were all like Westchester kids and I was the only kid from Bucks County. So we kind of just started everyone everywhere and, and loosely started on the songs that they had recorded before we were in the band and then you know we just started writing new music from there on out and that that's kind of how we started so it was like probably two years three years in between bands before i i even really touched my guitar like i think i had to legitimately go up to my parents house i was living you know in in an apartment i had to like legitimately go up to my parents house get my guitar back because i hadn't touched it in three years and then he got it back and then we started you know playing these everyone everywhere songs yeah one of my bands started through centrifuge around that time as well crash of 64 like a pat from all's phil like i was trying to put together a band that sounded like quicksand and the guys i had in it just weren't into it and then one day pat messages me and like a couple other people he's like yo we're doing this band and i was like all right let's go so centrifuge is the great uniter and starter of many great bands Ah shit. Yeah. <laughs> ah, shit. Uh, yeah, uh Centerfuse, it was uh as much trouble as I got in and caused on that message board. I mean I, I still think back to those days. I mean it was I, I just remember I was living in a basement at that time when I joined everyone everywhere and when kind of Centerfuse was at its at its finest, I would say. But I was living in my friend's uh basement on twenty second and Catherine and uh I remember just staying up all hours of the night just like on my computer 
in this unfinished basement that I was living in, just like talking to people that I've never met before, but I felt like I was friends with, you know, that's yeah. how, I, how I met you. So I met like so many people. Um, but it was just so weird that that, that silly website made me so many friends and relationships and it was like as much as we like maybe would shit on it at the time or whatever it was like that was another thing that you know this area this pocket of philadelphia had that was really cool that like a lot of other places didn't have right yeah it was it was crazy times i don't know back then i loved i guess i just didn't have much going on i loved meeting and talking to people from the internet and it it seems crazy now like i would i would just show up to shows and like talk to people and i I would be like way too scared to do that now but i mean i was like drunk all the time before so i guess that helped (laughs) yeah (laughs) that 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 would help um yeah yeah I, i remember just like you know reading a thread about the show that was going on and I maybe didn't have any friends that wanted to go to that show or they didn't get a ticket or whatever it was. And I just remember just meeting up with people that I knew from Centerfuse but had never met before in person. Um, and then I would meet them at the show or somebody I would recognize from their user picture or be like, or somebody I was with would be like, yo, you know, that's so-and-so over there or that's whatever. And then we would end up talking or being friends or or whatever but it was it was a strange time but definitely something that is a little bit more out of my comfort zone now but i guess when you're younger and you know that was all it wasn't like weird you know like i yeah. feel like it's gotten more weird these days to to approach somebody that you know online but you don't know in real life yet when like right. back in the day it was like i remember just talking to people that we had never met in person before and there wasn't even like an introduction. It was just like you just started hanging out with them because like you already knew. Yeah, I would I would walk up to people high as shit and I would just say their username. I'd be like, boom, <laughs> and then like they'd be like, yeah. It's like and the then, code word. Like yeah. You know. <laughs> so I discovered everyone everywhere through Centerfuse, and I I loved the band right away. I think the first song I heard was the talk 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 song talk 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 song, and it, I was I was hooked right away and i'm i'm kind of picky with like emo type music you know it has to have it has to have just the right components because a lot of times the music can be like too meandering or or like too jangly i don't like like the super jangly emo bands or like a lot of times the vocals are really annoying so like but you guys hit all the right marks and i remember coming to see you at the fire I think he played with Restorations. Uh, which time? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, exactly. I feel like it, we played. We probably played with them probably once a month at the yeah. fire. Yeah, so that that was a fun gig. You didn't happen to be at our show at the Mill Creek Tavern, were you? No, no. Okay, so um, this was a show that was in 2008. Um, it was June 2008 at the Mill Creek Tavern. I have no idea what other bands were there. But um, at the time, Matt Scottaline, he was the bass player. I was the guitar player. And Brendan and Brendan. Um, Matt went to go work um, on a summer internship in L.A. on Tim and Eric. Um, so we were like, oh, shit, what are we going to do this summer for our shows? Yeah. Um, so that was like right around like, you know, we had just recorded and we just started, you know, playing shows and stuff. And we didn't want to lose momentum. So we got, uh, I moved over to bass. And then we got one of the guitar players back that was on the original recordings that I heard, and we got mm-hmm. him to play some shows that summer. But I don't know if you've seen this. On YouTube, there's a clip 
of um, everyone everywhere covering Hum Stars really? at the Mill Creek no Tavern. So I, I, I wanted to bring that up because I wasn't sure that you had never mentioned it, so I wasn't sure if you had seen it or not. No. But it's, uh, it's not the full song. I think I hosted it. Somebody recorded it. I like saved it or they sent it to me and I, I put it up on, on my YouTube channel. Um, but it's not the full song, but it's, it's most of it. Um, but it's me on bass. It's like a really weird lineup. It's not, you know, the real everyone everywhere lineup is like hodgepodge members. Um, but that was a very weird show. Um, (laughs) if you've ever been to a show at the Mill Creek Tavern, it was very weird. There was a lot of weird shows. There was like a lot of weird random shows there. Wasn't there? Wasn't that like a thing with that place? Yeah, and it was always like, it wasn't, the place wasn't closed off, you know, it was like a big open room, and it wasn't closed off to people coming in that just wanted to go to the bar that night. So there was plenty of people there that just wanted to go to the Mill Creek Tavern to have like a cheap beer, because it was like a cheap neighborhood place, so you were playing to a lot of people that wanted you to not play, or wanted you to not be there, or couldn't wait until the noise stopped, kind of thing. (laughs) Um, but I hated playing there, but that, I think that was the only time that we played that song live and there's a, you know, snippet of it on YouTube. You know, I literally just remembered this right now. The only time I've ever been there, I was in like a blackout and it, it was one of the worst, <laughs> it was one of the worst days or it was one of the worst nights slash days of my life. Actually, I, w- I won't tell the full story here. That's, that's for another forum, but I was at the Mill Creek Tavern. I, I don't remember. I don't know. I was at some random show or something, and I remember just like, oh man, it was a, it was a weird scene. See, that place is just the host of many weird scenes. That place is cursed, and I don't know if they're around anymore. But I have never been to a good show there. So let's talk about the, your first LP. Now that was legendary. Like when that came out, I listened to it so much. I still listen to it. I would show it to everybody like people who wanted to hear it people who didn't want to hear it that was like my soundtrack to the summer of what was it like 2010 or something 2010 it came out yeah yeah so i I remember the record release show at kung fu necktie and oh that was a great show yeah sold out yes sold out because it was free i think yes that's a good gimmick it was a good gimmick, and the bar was all about it because they knew that they would get people in there that would drink, and we felt very proud of ourselves that we sold out a free show, which was, uh, you know, a, a, a good way to claim that you sold somewhere out. Yeah, and in, in typical me fashion, in typical me fashion at the time, uh, I missed half or more of your set because I was outside waiting for a guy for a thing. You know what I'm saying? I know what uh, you're saying. Yeah, but but he never showed up, so it was mm. it was it was an all around loss. Gotcha. I I do remember. I think you you telling me that you missed half of our set, um, and I I don't know if I was very good friends with you at the time yet, but we did talk, and I do remember you saying that you you missed it, but uh, you saw some of it, and it was very good. That is weird that I told you that at the time. I have to say. I, d- I remember it being weird that you did tell me that because I didn't really know because I didn't know you that well. Yeah, um, I I had a tendency to just brain dump anyone who would listen to me at the time and just say like everything. I don't know. I don't know what my well. I know what my deal was, but you know. Was, <laughs> yeah. So the 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 2010 LP came out on Tiny Engines. 
Now let's talk about that. Now you, I remember the the blog tour where, uh, like, I think uh, MP3 of every MP3 from the album was posted on different blogs. Correct. So, um, you know, basically, we started everyone everywhere, and anyone that has listened to us or followed us, you know, remotely or 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 whatever, knows that we were never a band that took ourselves seriously. We never. Um, you know, we're super serious about making money or making it a career, and and um, and actually, that first LP, the uh, first 100 LPs, like physical LPs that we did, we sold them online, and we did name your own price. So I mean, it was like never about money or anything at the time, um, and and mostly because you know we didn't, we just wanted it to be fun. But then also, I mean, like we were all in school at the time. So the only times we could really tour um, was basically we toured every winter break and every spring break. And that was just kind of like just stuck to the northeast. We we did play south by southwest. We, we did go down south, but it was mostly, mostly like the northeast. Um, but we couldn't really tour. So, um, you know, Tiny Engines was trying to figure out a way to get our music out there. Because um, at the time, I mean, the internet was around, but it wasn't. You couldn't gain the followers that you gain that you can gain today by, um, you know, Twitter and Instagram and um, you know, bands sharing music on Bandcamp and stuff like that. Um, so touring was still the main way to kind of build followings in other cities. Um, so that was like the one big thing that like tiny engines always kind of like brought up to us was like complaining about us not touring or whatever um mm-hmm. but yes they did do the infamous blog tour which i thought was very corny um <laughs> but people talk about it still i don't know if it's good or bad um but yeah it was a, a different song each day on a different blog um until you know all 10 songs or whatever were released yeah, I mean, I don't think I've seen a band ever do that before. You guys might be the only ones. It's possible. I mean, I think it was a stupid idea. Maybe that's why <laughs> nobody has ever done it. <laughs> Plus, blog, blogs aren't really another. Blogs aren't really a thing anymore. You'd have to do like the social media tour and post one song on each platform. Yeah, oh, that's post. a that's a good idea. No one steal that. I'm gonna I'm gonna market that. You could do one on Twitch. You could do one um, on Twitter. You could do exactly. one on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that that was our first, um, you know, the seven inch that we recorded. It came out on Evil Weevil Records, which was um, Bill from Flight Plan Records, a guy that I grew up another Bucks County kid. Um, so he he was on one of our winter tours with us, and he basically um, we were playing like a Matchbox video game on like PlayStation Two or PlayStation One or something, and one of the cars was like the Evil Weevil. So we had this idea. He was like, "Yo, I'm gonna I'll start a new record label and I'll put out a seven inch for you guys and I'll call it Evil Weevil Records." And that actually happened. And then you know wow. that actually turned into a real label where he released stuff. Um, you know, I, th- I think he released like Tiger's Jaw and he released like. Um, spook houses and he released you know a a bunch of other like it it became like a real thing for a while um but the 2010 lp was our first release that was like a label where they weren't our friends like it wasn't like a friend of ours saying hey i'll do this for you it was like kind of like we viewed them as like a a real label and it, it was they were just a seven inch label at the time so we were their first lp um so we decided to um, release that with them, and uh, you know Chuck was doing the um, 
uh, Bear Trap PR at the time, so we thought it was like a good way to get our music out and and all that. But um, we had our differences. I, I think if you if you follow any of the uh, Twitter beef or anything like that, uh, they recently got into a lot of hot water. Oh um, right, with yeah, a lot of their I bands. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so for our second album the second lp um we were we self-released that um, okay but the first one came out on tiny engines and and we recently just got the rights back to that um right before the shit hit the fan kind of with with all of that twitter blowover and all the bands complaining they weren't getting paid and all that stuff i mean mm-hmm. we had gotten yeah you know, i don't want to talk about it too much because uh, i'm still um friends with the one guy that wasn't a shithead Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but most bands were getting paid money and, and including us. I mean, we, we basically had not gotten paid anything from them for years and it, it's not a ton of money. And like I said, if we were a more serious band or we cared about the money or whatever it was, we probably would have realized a long time ago that we weren't getting paid. But I think it was like one day we were just kind of like, Hey, has tiny engines paid us recently? No, we haven't. And then we checked like our last payment and it was like four years ago and we were like oh shit we should contact them yeah and this happens all too often and it's sad to hear that it's still happening you know like i know bands who they they never got anything from their record label anything like they, they got some cds when they were first pressed but they never got any money or any residuals or anything after that and when you're a young you when you're 17 18 19 years old in a band like you don't know business you don't know how to ask for things you don't know necessarily how to advocate for yourself and be like yo well i'm supposed to get this amount of money on this date and it makes me mad because well one i have to sit on this information i would love to like you know start a bunch of trouble on this podcast and two it's it just fucking sucks man to to follow that up um so one of the big things that um from tiny engines and kind of their downfall of of why they stopped paying us and why they stopped paying other bands or whatever was they're one of their big distributors um um it, it was um no idea Okay. Um, so apparently what happened was no idea stopped paying tiny engines um and they were basically the main distributor for you know our lp for like mm-hmm. online sales and other things like that basically i think they got into some trouble financial trouble so they stopped paying tiny engines and then tiny engines stopped paying us but they never told us that like hey no idea owes us like five grand and they never paid it to us and we're not getting it so you guys aren't getting it either it it just they just never said anything. So when right. the time came and time time came to settle up um, money that was owed, um, they gave us some money. We're like, okay, that's cool. But like, not to be a dick and we feel weird asking, but like, I think it should be more. Yeah. And um, that's when they told us that like, oh, well, you see what happened from like this year to this year you know, no idea was our distributor and they actually had stopped paying us and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was something that they just, you know, kind of failed to tell us. Um, but wow. that was, that was kind of one of their downfalls, but we, we decided to do the second LP ourselves cause we had some creative differences with them. I mean, they wanted to, you know, cut songs or rearrange songs or they, they wanted to do things differently. And, and they knew that we were a band that didn't want to really, that, didn't care about making money at first. Mm-hmm. 
And at first they were cool with it, but then, you know, it just kind of got to the point where they wanted to push us to do things or, you know, pressuring us into doing tours or doing whatever. And, and when it came time to do LP2, um, we told them that we weren't, you know, we're like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Um, we're going to do this one ourselves. We appreciate it. And they basically were just like, they, they said, like, good luck. It's not as fun as you think. Well, wow. we were like, oh, okay, well, now we are going to do this. But like, <laughs> we, we do think it's fun. That's why we want to do it. We want to do something that is ours from start to finish, beginning to end, everything that we want to do, the artwork, the, the, the sequencing, you know, everything. We just we just want to do it ourselves. And we think it's going to be fun to do as a band, as friends. And, and we think it's a good opportunity. And they basically were like, yeah, if, I mean, if you think that it's it's like so easy and fun, like good luck, go ahead, go for it. Wow! And we we're like, so, okay, so they were so bitter. They were, they were bitter. Um, so that that that's why we decided to do the second LP ourselves. Um, I mean, we had made up that our minds before that, but then them kind of being dicks about it just kind of like, re- you know, reinforced it even more that we made the right decision. Yeah, and they should be bitter about it because that second LP is another classic. I mean, come on. And it was kind of funny because after we did the second one, we did tour more. <laughs> so it was like we did do a, like a full Europe tour. We were there for like six weeks and, you know, we did, uh, you know, tour down like South by Southwest and things like that. So it was kind of funny that, you know, we did the touring after the the record label that wanted us to tour. Um, we kind of did it after we left them. Yeah. So is there still ongoing business with tiny engines? So recently I talked to the one guy, Will, um, from what I know and from what I've heard from other bands and what he's told me is, is he's kind of broken ties with them as a label. He, Mm -hmm. he wanted to make sure he got as much money as he could to the bands that were owed it. I, I don't think they could pay everything. Um, but basically, once he felt like he did all that he could do, he parted ways and he, he just left. Now, I don't know if that label's around anymore. I, I, I don't know what the what the whole deal is. But I, I don't think they've ever released an official statement or anything. But I know it was a lot of bands that were owed a lot of money. Yeah. And um, we weren't even included in that list because we actually got paid something, like a couple thousand dollars. Right. Um, we got paid something, so we weren't even in that list. Um but um, there is, you know, we're we're officially, I mean, we haven't broken up as a band, but we haven't played in many years, and I don't know if there's plans to play or write music in the future. Um, but uh, we are going to, it's in the works. Um, this might be the first time anyone's talking about it, but we are re-releasing everything. So um, we are re-releasing the first LP ourselves not under tiny engines under us um we're mm-hmm. re-releasing the second lp um you know again ourselves uh like it was the first time around and then we're also releasing a third lp that's going to be um it's going to have uh the you know the first ep pants on it it's going to have the seven inch on it and it's going to have some other like um you know i guess like more like rarities or b-sides not not too many um but it's going to be basically a a third lp of a a compilation of everything else that we've done wow 
That's exciting news. So that might that might be the first uh, the first time that's been dropped anywhere fresh on on your podcast here. Oh, we we love exclusives, exclusives on so that, the Northeast scene. So thank you for that. So that's an exclusive. Um, so I guess everybody who's interested it can keep their eyes out for that. Um, that's um, uh, Lamo Records is going to be um, distributing it for us, even though we're self-releasing everything. Um, they're going to be mm-hmm. doing all of the mail order and, and things like that. So I think they're going to have it for sale on their website. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll post a link to it um, We'll, you know, whenever I, I don't, I, Brendan controls the Twitter, and I don't think he tweets hardly ever. Um, but we'll probably release something soon when there's when there's more details. But I think everything is being sent off to pressing. Um, I think it's in the works. Now that was going to be one of my questions. the The social media, the Twitter account especially, is so I love it. He still posts every once in a while, and it's just this super sarcastic, biting like sense of humor and sometimes he'll like make fun of uh who's that band that like they say always say like is saving rock but they're really lame they're like they're like led zeppelin or something oh yeah yeah um who is that um but he was making fun of them on there like he kept saying like saviors of rock or something like trolling them and then he'll he'll like you guys always make those best of email lists and he'll always be like you know oh all these other bands Greta Van Fleet, be on... was that it? That's Gre- it, Greta Van, Greta Van Fleet. Fleet. Yeah. yeah, he was posting about them, or he'll be like, wow, all these other bands should be happy to be on this list with us, and just like, just, just funny shit like that. So that's Brendan, Brendan McHugh, the singer. <laughs> um, he's yeah. the uh, mastermind behind the Twitter. Uh, he's a, I talk to him every day, I'm in a group chat with him. Um, yeah. Uh, he is hilarious. Uh, the Twitter presence that he has when he does post is hilarious. Uh his humor, not everybody gets, and a lot of people don't get that it is supposed to be funny or whatever, so a lot of fans <laughs> yeah. end up getting mad, or you'll see something in the comments that were like, man, I thought you were cool, or you know, I thought you were going <laughs> to use your voice for something better, um, whatever it was. But uh, but yeah, so that's Brendan that runs Twitter, and, and he has a very good social media voice. Um, yeah, it's it's right up my alley. It's just this very specific, like, sarcastic like blase attitude that's just i love it i absolutely love it and i mean that goes back to our live shows as well um so his stage banter at live shows i mean i i for one like personally don't like stage banter but um his was always hilarious and and i i didn't think it was just because i was in the band that i thought it was hilarious like i genuinely thought it was hilarious yeah um so for um, our record release show for the second LP, I don't know if you were there or not, um, but we played at the Barbary. And uh, so we played at the Barbary, and we had Band Name open for us, um, Slingshot Dakota open for us, and then um, there was another band that was supposed to open as well, but they canceled Day Of. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name of who it was, but they canceled day off. Um, so basically we were talking with R5 and whatever, and we were saying like, oh, what do we want to do? Do we want to start the show later? Do we want to find a last minute band to replace it or whatever? Um, and we were like, you know what? Let's do something else. The money that we were going to pay them, let's just put it all towards pizza. And we were, we're just, we'll just order like 50 pizzas and we'll just make it free pizza for everybody at the show. Now um, that 
is a brilliant idea. Like, less bands, more pizza. That's yeah. what I want. Uh, so I don't think that had ever been done before. So we got, yeah. you know, um, that was right around the time Pizza Brain had just opened up, and I was friends with the guy Brian who started it. And I, mm-hmm. I messaged him, and it was like 11 in the morning. And I was just like, hey, man, I know this is like super last-minute request, and like you probably need a lot of lead time for this, but we need like 50 pizzas for tonight. Is that something that you can do? And he was like, let me get back to you. Hang on. And he talked to like the chefs and everything. And he was like, yeah, we can do it. I think we ordered like 50 pizzas. It was something like $600 worth of pizza or something like that. Wow. Um, and uh, we just got like half vegan, half plain pizza and just made that free for everyone. Um, but I remember at that show, um, I, th- I don't know if it was the first show Brennan started this off at, but um, he used to wear one of our band's shirts on stage and then <laughs> and then auction off that shirt. <laughs> and most of the time it was because like we only had like one or two of like a merch item left or whatever. Yeah. So um what we would do is if we had like one LP left or we had like one seven inch left or one shirt left, we would like auction it off on stage. And for some reason, I don't know if it was like the auction set up or it, it gets people in this like buy now mode where they have to get it where you're like this is the last lp we're gonna auction it off right now you know it's normally is ten dollars you can buy it online for ten dollars but we're gonna start it off now you know at at one dollar and we'll just start the bidding and sometimes like the lps would go up to like double or triple the price that it would normally be um but at this show he auctioned off our he said it was our last t-shirt so auctioned it off i think it went for like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or whatever it was it, it went up like pretty high and then he took the shirt off his back and then threw it out in the crowd to auction it off and give it to the winner but then underneath he had the exact same shirt on again and oh then, my god and then he auctioned that one off again i think it only went for like five dollars or something like that but i mean it was like it was That's like brilliant. that it was like that kind of like stage banter that kind of you know uh you can kind of see in his Twitter personality as well. Um, for, sh- but, for sure. But, but we would say a lot of things on stage, or he would say a lot of things on stage that that people would take the wrong way or take too literally or seriously. And like we would end up getting like, people would end up thinking we were dicks. Or I remember yeah. finding on this like one Tumblr or something like that, it was... It was like, oh, I met these guys at a show on time. They were all dicks except for Matt. He was cool. And I was you like, know, I, I saw that recently. I like found your Tumblr and I looked at that and I was just cracking up at that. <laughs> I was like, I can't remember being a dick to anybody like on purpose. Maybe they just thought I was because of something we said sarcastically or but we, I mean, you know, Brendan would say stuff on stage all the time that was that was sarcastic or just stage banter that was just stupid. And, uh, you know, most of our fans thought it was super funny and they got yeah. it. But a lot of them did not, and it just went over their heads, and they were just like, oh, these guys are dicks. Yeah, that type of humor can easily be taken the wrong way. You know, there's like, there's like a million accounts on Twitter that do that specific type of trolling now, and it's all hilarious. I love it. You know, I just flashed back to, I saw you at this random house show in West Philly. I think maybe Signals Midwest played too, and he was auctioning off the last, or giving away the last... I think it was the first LP, and he's like, who wants it? And no one was really saying anything, but I was there with Gary, and Gary was like, I want it. And Brendan's like, oh, uh, Gary? Okay, here you go, Gary. Like, 
<laughs> I do remember that show. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was like right when Single- Signals Midwest was like huge at that time. They were like just coming out, and yeah. and they were like very popular. So I think it was like everybody was there to see them and not us, and they just did not give a shit. And we tried to. <laughs> sometimes the auctions didn't work, and I, Gary got lucky. He did. What was your last show? Was it? I I remember seeing you at Brooklyn Bazaar in like two 2000- thousand. 15 maybe yeah so we played that and then um i think there was actually one show after that that we played because we played everybody hits um and that was cool because they opened up after so we basically wrote the first most of the first lp and all of the second lp at that warehouse that we lived at at sixth and gerard yeah um and um after we had moved out everybody hits opened up downstairs it used to be an old appliance place and i think the last show that we played at was at everybody hits um and i i think that was after the brooklyn bazaar okay now at that brooklyn bazaar show i think you were gonna play longer and correct me if i'm wrong but it seemed like it seemed like brendan was gonna start playing a song but like maybe he didn't remember how so I think like the set got cut short. Yeah, that... That, that's exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> so I did find the date online of the every the everybody hits show. That was August like twenty fourth, I believe, two thousand fifteen. So I don't know when the Brooklyn Bazaar show was, but I think it was like close. It was January um, two thousand fifteen. It was like okay. right around my right around my birthday. Right? Okay, so I, that I was January. That. Then I guess our last show that we played was in um, was August of twenty fifteen. Um, and we played a fest at some point, but I I think that was like before then. Um, but yeah, so I, I, we were, we were going to play another song. Um, but uh, so Brennan lives in New York now and he lived in New York then. And that, that's kind of why the, the band kind of, um, kind of like faded, faded out was just because, you know, for us to play a show, it was, you know, getting together a few days prior and finding the time to practice and remember these songs or remember the tunings because right. they were all you know, nothing is in standard tuning um so for that that brooklyn show um we basically didn't practice before then so it was just <laughs> kind of like everybody was on their own it was just kind of like yeah i mean you know i remember i i took the train up from work after um i left a little bit early from from work i was doing some movie and yeah. i took the train up and I had my guitar with me, and I remember listening on my iPod of you know just our songs and trying to remember them. <laughs> yeah. And we had because we had the set list worked out, and we're like, we're going to play these songs. Um, and I think what happened was Brennan forgot how to play the last song, and then we were just kind of like, nah, fuck it, and we just <laughs> we just stopped. But I yeah. think that that show was also with Slingshot Dakota. Yeah, I, think they, I they showed headlined. up. I showed up for you guys and left directly after. And I remember having, I remember like, you know, I was like, oh man, I, I need one more, just one more. And then yeah, that was we, it. It was done. We, we knew you needed one more, but we, uh, we tried. Uh, <laughs> but we, we couldn't do it. And, and that's the, the tough thing at this point too with us playing shows and everything is, um, is just remembering the songs. Um, I mean, for a few years there, Brendan moved to New York basically right after we got back from our like, european tour in 2012 so he probably moved to new york in like 2013 and we continued to play shows after that but it basically required him you know coming down the day before the show staying at our house and we would just practice for you know 
five, six hours and, and everything was still kind of fresh. So it would take a little bit and then it would come back to us and it was like, you know, not a problem and it was fine. And then as more and more time went between shows, it just got to the point where the practices needed to take longer. We couldn't remember the songs. Things were fine during practice. And then you get on stage and then you forget how to play the song. You forget the tuning or whatever it is. And I think yeah. at this point, um, I know I haven't touched my guitar in like a couple years at this point. And I don't even remember a lot of the tunings or how to play it. Um, so we, we always talk about doing like another show or, or, or doing something goofy or, or, you know, whatever. But I, I just don't even know if we could remember them at this point. <laughs> now that was going to be my question like so the band's not done you never like broke up or anything like that it's just inactive yeah like, i would just say it's like inactive you know it's uh it's in the freezer okay um, so you know. so there may be another show at one point is what you're telling me yeah for sure we we talk about it um it's under we, we, i'm not going to disclose them on the podcast i can maybe tell you afterwards because if we do do what we're thinking it's going to be very funny and uh <laughs> uh never never been done um but yeah i mean it, it's it's still open-ended i mean we haven't broken up but i mean i don't i it, you know i don't i don't know if you have to say you're broken up but we never said we're broken up but we don't talk like we're necessarily broken up so we do you know we are releasing these these records coming out and we did talk about doing some shows in some select cities when this does come out um you know now with covid-19 and everything that's that's probably going to throw a little bit of uh you know wrench in the in the mix there but uh we did talk about doing some shows in some of the major cities that we played before like New York, Philadelphia, you know maybe Maryland or Chicago or whatever j- just trying to branch out and just just do you know, one show a weekend spread out across like a couple months or something like that, just just for fun. Yeah, you got to let me know about that because if it's if it's in the Northeast, I will be there for sure. There, if and when it happens, there will definitely be at least one in the Northeast. Um, but we have talked about that, and that that was kind of like the plan of when we decided to re-release all these albums um, that we were going to play some sort of show. Yeah, I, I I remember wanting to book you sometime. I lived in this house in Bedsty in Brooklyn that had like a big backyard, and I wanted to book you guys as the sole band. So I remember writing the Twitter account. I was like high and drunk one day, and I was like, "All right, guys, how much for a show? Let's talk turkey." But uh, <laughs> but I never got a response. So I. I I, I would have put together an everyone everywhere show in the basement in which I lived had I, had I been able to. Oh wow! Well, I, yeah. I, I wish I had access to the Twitter account then. Now that that's a question I have. Do, you, how does the dynamics work around social media? Do you, does Brendan just make the Twitter and he handles it, or does does anyone ever like want access and get denied? How how does that all work out? So at some point, um, we all had access to it, and it wasn't like ever a thing of, um, you know, this person is in charge of it or whatever. It was kind of just we all had access to it yeah but then at some point um we had to change the password because it got hacked or whatever and i think after that happened um i just had never asked for the password back and at that point um 
the drummer Brendan, he's not a big like social media guy or anything, so I just don't think he cares. And then Matt started doing his band Hurry, so he basically uses you know the you know Hurry band uh, Twitter handle right. as that, and he kind of has his own following on there. So I I don't think he has too much of a you know he he doesn't really care too much about posting to the everyone everywhere account. Um, but Brendan, I think, is the only one with the password at this point because they got he we we had to change it because um, it got hacked or whatever. So um, I'm sure if I asked him for the password, I could get it. But I, I at this point, I don't want to mess with his voice that he has on there because I feel like whatever <laughs> I post is gonna be like not cohesive and not funny and it's gonna be <laughs> stupid. It would be a lot to live up to for sure. Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, everyone everywhere you know there was like the whole 2010s emo revival thing and everyone everywhere always pops up in these articles like best emo band of the 2010s and so weird yeah does does that does that have any significance to you does that mean anything to you like does it make you feel good at all you know it does um I can't speak for everybody in the band and i'm sure it does uh you know we never took ourselves seriously and we never you know it was always kind of a joke to us um but we did make these songs that we do we did love we do love and for many years i mean we were we're all still friends you know all of us are still friends um but for many years we were like best friends and we did everything together Mm -hmm. um so it was a very you know cool time in our lives and especially to be that young and doing something and it was kind of the classic thing of nobody really gave a shit kind of until it was like too late um, but, uh, yeah, I would say it definitely makes you feel good. It definitely, um, it's cool. I don't know. Like, I, I know, like, I was never a dashboard confessional guy, but like Chris Caraba made a list and I think, I think, uh, he had like, it was either his list or he reviewed everything on the list and he reviewed like one of our songs and, you know, just to be like, oh, this guy, Chris Caraba from dashboard confessional like listen to something that you made and he said it was cool um even though i didn't listen to them growing up like you know 14 year old me would have been like holy shit like i never would have thought that yeah Um, i i mean that's gotta be cool because it's like you carved out a little niche and you you get a little recognition for for the awesome work you've done so that i mean that i would be stoked on that i would be stoked if anyone listened to any of my bands so like you know (laughs) yeah i mean no yeah, definitely. It's it's super sh- strange and it's cool. Um, I mean, an, an, another cool thing that happened from this band was becoming friends with other musicians um, yeah. that I either looked up to growing up or, you know, whatever it was. Like um, on one of our tours, we had uh, we had played with Evan from Into It Over. It was when he moved to Chicago. Um, yeah. So we played at this place. I forget what it was, but... Um, it was um, Bob Nana from Braid. He was playing solo. Um, it was Evan, and then it was us. And then I remember reading on Bob's Twitter, like after the fact, and he was like watching this band called Everyone Everywhere from Philadelphia. They're pretty good. And I was like, oh, holy shit, man. <laughs> and then like a few months later, we were doing a tour down to South by Southwest, and I saw on his Twitter again um, that, you know, he had a, a show fall through, uh, you know, and, and 
and he was looking to play somewhere. So like that night, I got him on the show. It was like everyone everywhere. The world is a beautiful place. I'm no longer afraid to die. And like Bob Nana at um, a pizza place in Austin, the Mellow Mushroom. And it was like, I never thought I would be like friends or talking to these people. And like, you know, um, then that led me to being friends with like Chris Broach from Braid. And it was just like, you know, like 15, 16 year old me would have thought that this was like impossible. And I guess what I realize now is that all of these, I mean, everybody is just, you know, they're just like dudes. They're just people. They're just, I'm. They made awesome music, but they're just like everybody else. But um, it's cool to, I guess, be recognized, you know, online by some of these people that you once looked up to or still look up to and say, you know, oh, you did this thing and I like it. Yeah, absolutely. That's my favorite part of this podcast is for someone who has always felt not a part of his entire life, just having this opportunity to connect with the artists that I love and, and even with friends, like to get yeah. to ask them all these questions that I've, I've never been able to ask because I'm like pretty shy and standoffish. So this, this podcast empowers me to take that step to like, to get to know people and to have these conversations. And I love it. It's just a fantastic opportunity that kind of, I didn't expect. Yeah, it's cool. And I mean, in a way, I go back to something that you said of, you know, you know, never felt accepted or you never felt like, I forget the word that you use, but I mean, in a, a way, of, yeah. a part of, yeah. uh, in a way, isn't that like pretty much the reason that we kind of all got into the DIY scene or into hardcore, 100%. into punk or whatever it was, is like at one point we never, you know, all of us kind of never felt a part of or never felt accepted or never quite felt like i don't want to say you know, like a normal you know teenager yeah. or whatever it was so that was the reason that we kind of like all got into this anyway um so for that community to then accept you or to then be a part of something is definitely um i guess kind of like fills a little void of something that you 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 lacked growing up or that you've always kind of longed for i think everybody always looks for acceptance whether they want to admit it or not yeah. yeah, no, that's and I'm huge. not afraid. I'm not afraid to admit that I do, and I don't know. I I had a problem of even if I had a lot of good things in my life, I could never recognize it, or just like these imagined scenarios where I'm being kept out of things, or something is wrong with me, and people don't like me, and all that self-deprecating bullshit talk. But you know, just I don't know. I guess everybody goes through some of that growing up. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, in that regard to be talked about or be accepted by somebody when you were in that state growing up when I was a 14-year-old kid or whatever, to have somebody in a band, you know, Braid or Hey Mercedes or Dashboard Confessional then recognize you as a young adult or recognize your music or whatever and accept you, then, I don't know, it, it, you'd be lying, I guess, to say if you didn't think that that was cool or you didn't think that was, you know something special all right so all right so tommy i like i i know everyone everywhere but when i went to go when i go to do any of the prep for any of the shows i try to listen to the band while i'm doing work so um i put you guys on uh on youtube today keith make fun of me now because i don't use spotify <laughs> so i i put you guys on youtube and i was just like oh uh something came up and i i was like clicking through stuff and i was like oh, i'll just put on this song and then i'll click the 
you know, like playlist that goes along with it. And all of a sudden, this band that sounded like Slick Shoes started playing. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I look at my phone <laughs> and it says everyone everywhere. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, there's like some weird glitch with my phone. Like, what the fuck? And then I start like looking closer at it and it says, no, everyone everywhere. And in brackets directly after it, it says Canada. And I'm like, what the fuck? There's another band <laughs> called Everyone oh, yeah. Everywhere. <laughs> so, did you guys ever have beef with them, or like, was there kind lawsuits? Of. Or um, so, so we <laughs> with Brendan's Twitter voice and his social media voice, we definitely started beef with them online. <laughs> I, I don't think that they even acknowledged <laughs> us. Um, but basically, they started their band, Everyone Everywhere Canada, um, like years or months after that we had started like we were clearly around first we yeah. clearly had at least one lp out uh, maybe two one seven inch out like we had done tours we had we weren't you were an popular. established band yeah we, but we were we weren't popular but we were established um so then they started a band and i think they had like you know all of these stupid songs i mean they like Donald Glover is not my lover and like I'm a Pepsi guy <laughs> like all these like really stupid songs and we th there was a brief period where we did kind of get confused with them a little bit or somebody was like hey I saw your music video but it didn't sound like anything like you because they did like kind of these more like professional music videos and stuff like that yeah um, but yeah so th that that was short-lived they ended up changing their name I think when we got a little bit more popular and they realized that they were on the wrong side of things, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that this band who was previously just like nothing was gained a slight bit of notoriety and they were like, Oh, okay, I guess we can't like do this anymore. Um, but it wasn't any, I think we were just like, with like, you know, almost like cyber bully them in a way, <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, it was never anything serious or no cease or cease and desist or like lawsuits or anything. Okay. All right. I just, I, I saw it and I was like, what the hell? The funny thing is if you scroll down, so I actually clicked on the video. I was like, wait. So I started like reading it and like, you know how they have the description and everything. And I went down to the comments and it, <laughs> all the comments are like, you know, this isn't everyone everywhere. What is this? Like this, and it's literally like it, it's it, it's in a consistent thread of people asking, "Is this the band from Philadelphia?" And literally, there's one person that has like ten likes on it. Just says no, <laughs> like in all caps. <laughs> yeah, oh, that band. Um, I have an yeah. idea. Right, everyone everywhere gets back together. Right, we play some shows, and you write the first emo diss track to the other everyone everywhere. Or that that's good. Or we could just play that band's songs. We could learn yeah. those songs. Oh shit! And yes. then people show yes. up and they think they're going to see Philadelphia, everyone everywhere. They are, but we're playing everyone everywhere Canada's songs. That's like some fucking Andy Kaufman shit right there. Jesus, oh, it's man. something. It's something we would do. I, absolutely. I, I can't believe it's not actually happening. In fact, just call, call the new call. Like write a new album and just call it in brackets Canada. <laughs> that, would, that would that would be good too. Um, it was actually a, a few weeks ago. Um, so it's kind of funny. Um, my wife's uh, coworker, um, he's actually a fan of Everyone Everywhere. So when it came up one day at work or whatever, that um, you know, oh yeah, my husband he was in this band, and oh what band? Everyone Everywhere is like, oh man, I love them. Um, she was looking for. There's a bunch of also like really weird covers on YouTube of people doing our songs. Um, there was this 
band. I think they're from like Russia or something like that. But this guy on like I'll send it to you. This guy on like a ukulele. Uh, they're they're playing in like quarantine. It's like a ukulele and like a drum machine and something else. But they're playing um, our song Wildlife from the second LP, and it's just like this really strange cover, and it's it it's bizarre. But she wanted to send it to her coworker. So she went on YouTube to look for it, and she found the Everyone Everywhere Canada, and and she was like, "What the fuck is this?" She was like, "This isn't you guys, right?" And I was like, "No, this is this is a stupid band from Canada." There was also a video of like a children's choir singing the uh, or a choir or something singing the "Hey, I've got bigger fish to fry" song. Do you remember there, that? Yeah, yeah. The, there, um, there, there, there was a weird. The, there's a bunch of weird ones. There, there, there's a lot of. Um, there are a lot of bands um, from Japan that have covered um, everyone everywhere. I've seen from like talent shows to just at like local basement shows or like something like that but there's a lot of bands from japan that play our songs a lot um we actually had a japanese tour pretty much booked and then that was when the tsunami hit and we had to cancel that um but um there are a lot of strange covers on youtube of people doing this thing um doing our songs or whatever Um, how does that feel to see other bands covering music you wrote that's got to be mind-blowing it kind of is i mean especially just because I don't know. You almost, in a way, in a way, don't think anybody is gonna hear any of your stuff. And then, especially at this point, I mean, there's the the one thing from Russia. The guy playing on like the ukulele. It's like a, a ukulele player, like a five string bass player, and like a drum machine guy. Um, uh, that came out like two months ago on YouTube. So wow. it's like we haven't played any shows in like six years we haven't released any new music in like eight years and like there's people still putting out like covers of us online um so it's it's strange but i i've seen a lot of weird stuff do you ever watch one of the covers and you're like no he's playing that wrong that's wrong (laughs) you know what i i I had this thought um the other day but it it was when we were kind of like talking about doing shows or whatever with the re-releases and things like that it was i was saying that like our music is you could kind of just play anything in that key or that kind of resemble the right notes and it would probably be okay (laughs) like i don't think that you would need to play everything exactly right and you could probably get away with it because a lot of these people online i'm like that is not how you play this song. Like this song one has like a capo on it and there's no capo. Yeah. I don't know how to play this song, but I know that they're not doing it right, but it sounds fine. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wish somebody would actually like make tabs to our songs because I legitimately forget most of them. <laughs> well, they, they look pretty complicated, honestly. Like I wouldn't be able to even come close to doing what Brendan is doing on guitar. Yeah, it's it's weird. So he he took lessons a little bit growing up and he had he has this really interesting style of playing where it's like he finger picks but he also 
uses a pick. So he's still holding the pick, but he's also like finger picking with like his pinky and his like ring finger and middle finger and stuff like yeah. that. And I remember when we first started playing songs, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Because he was teaching me <laughs> some songs they had already written. I was like, dude, I can't play that. Yeah. Um, so then my guitar style from being someone that was completely self-taught, I don't know anything. Um, you basically just play... I think anybody trying to play what you play, they would be very confused because it's not conventional. And you're making it up as you're writing the song. And I don't think anybody else, it would just feel like foreign to them. So I think it's a weird mix of his guitar playing and his weird hybrid style of like kind of finger picking and using a pick. And then me of just not knowing what the fuck I'm doing, but I just like write what I like or what I think sounds cool. Um, so it's not really difficult, but it sounds difficult because it's just unconventional. Yeah, I would just make up like my own parts, and I would like sometimes double the other guitar player. But I'm I'm like kind of doing my own thing that works along with the other stuff. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of my style too. And yeah, and and I will say every song that we've ever written has been collaborative. So. You know, somebody will come to practice or whatever with like a riff or a part or whatever, and then everything just kind of builds off of that. So, most of the time, like Brendan or I would come with a guitar part, and we don't even teach each other that guitar part necessarily. So, there's very few instances on any of our songs where we're actually playing the same thing, which I think is also kind of weird and it kind of blends into this weird, you know, these weird guitar parts where you're like, how do they play that? But it's actually just like two guitars playing two different things, but they're in the same key and using the same notes, but they're totally different. Right. Because like most of the stuff is he he would just, you know, start playing and then, you know, the drummer would come in and, and you know, play something to to match him. And then I would just start playing something in that key and I wouldn't even bother to learn his parts. And we would never play the same thing. So there, a lot of our songs are like that. And so now it's story time. So Tommy D, you'll get a kick out of this too. So Tommy M, um, I when we when we started this this whole thing, the Northeast scene, it was a Instagram account to post old show flyers and stuff. And then I was like, all right, if we get to a thousand followers, we'll do a podcast. And we did that. So I was going through my, I converted my YouTube to the Northeast scene, and I was going through all my show videos to pull clips to post and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, cool, an everyone everywhere show. I, I filmed uh, the whole song of Fold Over. Uh, you played the fire with Restoration. So I start up the video. I'm going to look at it. And in the beginning of the video, I'm, I'm heckling so bad. Like, I, I just yell, <laughs> I'm just yelling shit nonstop to, to the point where Brendan gets pissed off. And he, he into the mic, he's like, shut the fuck up. And then he's like, <laughs> he's like who is that? And I and I just wouldn't stop like until until the song started and that that was kind of my mo at the time like I I was I was just always a disaster and I was 2011 so hard... <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> yeah 2010 2011 around you know basically up until three years ago but I was <laughs> I was so horrified I'm like this has been sitting on YouTube this whole time so I like took I took it down and I clipped out that whole beginning. And then I posted the video back up and I took down like all my show videos because I was like, what if I'm doing this for every band? Like, what if it? What if it's the history of me being an asshole just sitting out here and, and I haven't gone back through everything yet? Oh, like, no. 
to see what what's going on. There's like, and you know, there's some stuff I have up, but there's other stuff I have to review, and I'm like, you know, so I sorry about that. <laughs> I, I completely forgot about that until you had just mentioned it, but I, I do remember that happening. <laughs> Yeah, I talked about this on another episode. My friend was like, I don't want to go to shows with you. He's like, I don't want you on stage. Like, you, you're you a heckler. And I was like, no, man, that's over. That's done. That was old Keith. Yeah, old Keith is dead. New Keith is here. He just stands quietly and enjoys the show. Well, you got to respect it either way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if everyone everywhere plays a, a gig, I'll for old time's sake, I'll stand up front. and No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. It's not in me anymore. And uh, you know, I I, I remember that show because I do kind of remember Brennan getting upset, and I was like, he usually thinks this is funny, but yeah. <laughs> I think that one got to him for some reason. <laughs> I have that special touch. Yeah, you just have that effect on people, I guess. I I certainly did before. Yeah, that's that's without a doubt. So so did you ever do any bands? After everyone everywhere, um, I ended up doing this band um, short shortly after um, Brennan moved away. Um, we did like four songs. We recorded everything ourselves at home um, called Gleek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when you would Gleek when you were younger. You know, like oh the, right! The, the oh yeah, like thing. the spit comes we're, out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was yeah. so we're, gross. We're, yeah. we're not we're not uh, big fans of the TV show Glee, which we later found out. Um, oh, that's what they call themselves. Th- they Gleeks. call themselves Gleeks because it's like a geek. But um, uh. well, anyway, so I, I, I did that band um, with uh, my friend Scotty. He was in a band in the Everyone Everywhere era, 2007 to 12, kind of, uh, this band called Pirouette. Um, so he was he was in that band Pirouette, and he played drums for Alex G for a little bit. Um, but he was living with me, so it was me, Scotty, um, Brendan Graham from Everyone Everywhere on drums, and then my other friend Chris on bass. Um, and I think we did four songs, and we have like a band camp. I think they're up there. Um, but that stuff, um, we uh, we wanted to do like kind of a, a heavier style band um that was that was kind of like a mix of hum slash jesu slash uh i don't know that 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 kind of stuff so we were all like standard tuning but we were you know dropped down i forget like two steps or whatever yeah um but if you want to check that out um i can send you the songs or whatever i think they're on Bandcamp still please Um, do that's right up my alley but but we did that um and everything was you know home produced or whatever and and I'm kind of proud of that stuff because it was just all like shitty mics and interfaces and stuff. Um, but we got it to sound like somewhat decent. Um, but that was kind of like the the last thing that I did that kind of played shows or was noteworthy in regards of like actually doing recordings or things like that. Um, I'm sure I've played and jammed with other people or kind of done one thing or whatever, but. Um, to be honest, I'm like very, very self-conscious and and weird about playing guitar with people. Um, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to me just being like self-taught or me having having an unconventional style of playing. And, and I found myself in a lot of situations of, um, you know, going over somebody's house or practice space or whatever to, you know, work on songs and this or that. And 
you know, them telling me notes to play or chords to play. And, and, and especially after being in Everyone Everywhere for so long, where literally none of our songs are in standard tunings. Yeah. Of me just being in this, like, position where I freeze up and, like, you know, you forget what an A is or a G is because, like, you're playing in this weird tuning and you don't even use normal, you know, fingerings or, or formations for chords or anything like that. And then... So I found myself just getting like a lot of anxiety or not even wanting to play with people or like I'll need to have like a heads up. And if you can send me songs in advance of stuff that you're doing, I'll like figure it out and then I'll come to practice prepared. But like I have a very hard time like jamming with people or, you know, just kind of like spur of the moment kind of playing. So I have to really trust the people and be friends with them that I'm playing with. I'm just like a nervous wreck when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm the same exact way. I'm self-taught. I don't know the name of even one chord. I don't know anything. I play solely by ear. I know two tunings. And I, you know, I've been a part of like tryouts and stuff where they just like end it early and they're like, no, you know, or like, <laughs> just like, it's it's the same thing for me. So I totally get it. Yeah, and it's a it's a weird place, and and I think that's kind of what um, made me feel so comfortable with everyone everywhere was like as soon as I met the guys, we just kind of like bonded instantly and just started hanging out all the time. And and Brendan was able to send me the songs in advance, and like I learned them before I showed up. Yeah, and then we played those songs together for a while, so I kind of gained this comfort and confidence. And then um, when we started writing new songs. We decided to. The first song we wrote was in this weird tuning, D A D G A D, and that's that kind of became like Dad Gad, yeah, Dad Gad. That that kind of became the standard of everyone, every everyone everywhere song with a different, slight different variation or a capo here or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But once we started writing our first song as a new group together in that tuning, we never kind of left that, and I got a lot of comfort in that because one, it's an open tuning, so. You can just strum the guitar open and it's a chord and it sounds good. Yeah. Um, but kind of anything that you play, it's nobody teaches those chords or you know those, you, you know that key or whatever. So it's 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 everybody who's kind of starting from the same page basically is like even people that had lessons never got taught in that tuning. Right. So everyone was kind of learning as they went, and at that point you're just playing what sounds cool or what you think is cool or whatever. So I think that's really why you know I liked playing with them as much as I did was because they were like the first kind of group of people that I found that I could be totally comfortable with and I wasn't self-conscious at all. Yeah, if I'm if I'm in a band situation, it we have to be growing together like you just described and figuring it out together and no like attitudes or I don't know, super technical, like you have to know the names of the chords or I have to be writing the song like the primary songwriter and we're like working off of shit I write, you know, cause then, yeah. uh, cause I know it, I'm writing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, um, I mean, I get it. It's, it's you're in a super vulnerable place and it's just very weird and strange and, and you don't want to be embarrassed. There's still this like sense of embarrassment that you get or not being good enough or whatever. It's just like, I don't know. I think that's why I haven't played my guitar in so long is because I, basically every time I would play is in a group setting of, you know, all of us together. And I just don't think I have the, the confidence or, or whatever it is to just want to, I don't have the motivation to pick it up and just play and write. Cause you know, I feel like 
if I did that, I would want to do it with a band or, you know, my friends. Do you, do you ever feel like you want to do it? Like I need to be in a band again? Cause I, sometimes I do. There's a, there's a couple things going on where I could j- potentially jump back into it, but I'm, I'm weighing it because I, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have time or, I mean, it's, it's not this constant need anymore. Like I don't really care if it happens or not. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the same way, and, and in a sense, it, um, and this is probably going to sound, you know, really stupid, or, or, you know, people might think I'm an idiot or a dick or whatever, but it's like, in a, in a way, you don't want to start from the bottom again. Yeah. And not, not that everyone everywhere even was that popular or gained that much of a following or or whatever, but it was like... I don't have the drive anymore to play a show to five people. Yeah. Like when I did when I was 14, 15, 17, 18, like up until like, you know, my early 20s. Like I was motivated to play. I wanted to play any show I could. I didn't care if there was one person there, if there was 100 people there. Like I just yeah. wanted to play and I had that sense of of drive to do that because I wanted to play music. But at this point in my life, I'll get in these zones where I'm like okay I really want to be in a band again and I'll I'll try to start writing music or I'll get some ideas or whatever but then in then this like sense of fear or dread comes over me where I'm like oh man I'm really just not motivated enough or don't have the confidence to play in front of like 10 people again like I I just don't want to I don't have the time or energy for that like I'm not motivated enough it's hard particularly in band situations I- I have found from my own personal experience that people just don't care and are frankly not very helpful. Like I've, I've really struggled in bands to, to put together shows or generate any interest and all that kind of stuff. And Tommy D and I always talk about this. Like I expected that to be the same experience with the podcast and like, you know, for, to ask people to come on and then just not to respond or be like, the fuck? What? No. Like, <laughs> it's been the complete opposite. Like, it's been yeah. really awesome and everybody's been really helpful and I've said really kind things. So it's a it's a nice, refreshing change of pace. That's great. Um, I've always, you know, dreamed of doing a podcast. So I'm definitely jealous of what you guys have going on. Uh, <laughs> It's definitely cool because um, I, I feel like I need a creative outlet or something to do um, some sort of hobby work because, you know, I do have a, a minimal background in, you know, recording. I'm interested in microphones and gear and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, podcasting would be cool. Um, and I just don't have the time or energy for music necessarily. Yeah, that's why this is great, because we can just do it from our homes, and it's a lot of work, but it's not as much work as trying to get four or five people all to agree to something or show up to practice and all that. So give it a shot, man. And I'm like, I'm like you. I'm, I, I, have to, I always have to be doing something creative, no matter what it is. Two years ago, it was the band. I put out an EP. The year after that, I was the lead in a play this year is the podcast and you know i think this is going to be it for a while but i i always have to be focused on some kind of little project or big project whatever whatever it is creatively i'm doing yeah and i i, I think in a in a way i'm i'm the same way um also i didn't know that you were a lead in a play which i'll have to talk to you about later um, yes that's pretty cool um i but i i think in a in a way and i i, I think it is 
a detriment more than anything, but my job kind of scratches that itch for me in a way of doing something creative or making something or being a part of something bigger because, you know, you're doing these TV shows or movies and even if I am just doing accounting or I am just in the finance department or whatever it is, I'm still a cog in the wheel, you know, a cog in the system that's, you know, making this bigger thing that's going to, you know, be a creative outlet. Um, and even though it's not my creativity, I'm around people that are creating and it is something creative. So in a way, I feel like that scratches the itch for me enough where it makes me unmotivated to do anything else. And I, I do feel kind of like that there's like that I'm lacking that in my life a little bit. And and during this quarantine uh, self-isolation kind of shutdown, um, I took the first step of bringing my guitar amp upstairs. It was in the basement collecting dust. So I brought it upstairs and it's in my office. I'm looking at it right now. Haven't plugged it in yet, but step one was bringing it up here. Um, so I do have it up here. Um, with the hopes of, um, you know, trying to play again soon. That's the first step. That's how I I haven't played guitar in a very long time. But you know, when I when I got one of those stands that you can just put in your living room and you put the guitar on it, I started playing a lot more. So you're you're on your way. Yeah, I think I think I'm on the right track. And um, you know, I I I, I love rec- I like I think I like recording more than playing shows and stuff like that. Um, but I, I would like to try to do something soon. Excellent. So we're winding down now. So let let's talk about what to expect. Where there's there's everyone everywhere re-releases happening, right? There are everyone everywhere re-releases happening. Um, we are releasing everything ourselves. Um, the first LP, um, the second LP, and then we're doing the third one, which is going to have uh, you know um, pants. It's going to have a lot of weird people standing around. It's going to have a couple other songs that were unreleased or um you know b-sides or something like that um so we're going to do all of those they're going to be released together and we're going to do a special packaging of um i think we're going to do 50 or 100 um of the the first or second lp maybe both of that's going to be different artwork as well um so these records have been out of print for a while um i think uh maybe there was like a thousand or two thousand made of each LP, and once they sold out, we just—that was another thing. We we just as a band just kind of like dropped the ball on that, <laughs> and um, we just didn't bother repressing it. And Tiny Engines came to us, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to re-release the first LP?" We're like, "No, uh, we'll we'll actually just take it back from you guys. We don't." That that was like a clause that we had in the primitive email contract that we had it was like once all of the records run out you can you have the option to take it back so we were like in this email from 2007 we would like to do the third line down which is take everything back so we're gonna do that (laughs) and then we did that and and then like they were like oh yeah i guess that's our our deal right it's in writing um so we took it back and you know no records have gotten made up until now so um that's what's to expect we talked about doing some shows um you know in kind of you know hub cities that that we played at a lot or were popular in just to kind of um you know uh, i feel like a lot of our fans have kind of came after the fact so hopefully to 
to play some cities and get some new folks out there who haven't seen us before, have kind of just found out about us. Beautiful. So I I am greatly looking forward to that. I, I hope to be able to see you perform live again. And Yeah, I'm, I would love to play live. I'm just a big fan from the first 7-inch up through the second LP. I still listen to all of it fairly regularly. Now, here's a question. Are there any newer unreleased songs? Um, you know what? I have a couple um, primitive like cell phone recordings and computer recordings of stuff um, that are like parts yeah. that I intend it to bring to practice. Um, I don't think there's anything that's unrecorded necessarily, um, but there's certainly some stuff that's nowhere near complete. Um, for a while, as things were winding down with us, me and Brendan, the drummer, um, we would play at my house for a while of just kind of like some guitar parts that we intended to bring to the next practice to write as full bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually a few of those songs out there that I have on my phone of videos of us playing in my basement of of songs that we, you know, were hoping to bring to the next practice that never happened. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll rehash those or um, I don't know. Well, I sure hope so. And uh, now, some closing words from Tommy D. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, this is like one of those things that, like, as I've gotten older, it's uh, kind of been uh, become more and more part of my life. And I always thought it was kind of corny and and like dumb when I was younger. But um, I started kind of like uh, making a daily routine of just meditating in the morning kind of just get my day started uh i have three young kids so i get up really early i'm usually up to p- between like 5 30 and 6 every day and uh i was kind of like just listening to a bunch of different things and one of the things that i sprung upon and nothing ever in terms of philosophy or religion has ever really spoken to me but i found this thing called stoicism and uh it's basically like an, an ancient greek philosophy that kind of like it, it it embraces things like that that you would normally be like oh that's something I kind of want to like get away from so like things like that are painful or things that are uncomfortable um, it really kind of pushes you to kind of look at those at a you know at, in a different perspective and it also really kind of pushes you to kind of be like the highest good or the best thing you can be is virtuous like being honest and true and one of the things that I've been kind of like thinking about is because we have so much time on our hands now because of the, you know, quarantine and, um, is I, I constantly am checking things on my phone. And one of the things that came to me is, uh, uh, when I do this meditation every morning, I, uh, I found this book of like all these like philosophical quotes and I just read them and they're nothing long, like a paragraph or two. Um, but this one, I, I got it and I was like, wow, that's huge for me but it's this quote it says do not spoil what you have by desiring what you don't remember that the things you have now were among the things you once hoped for and i i sit a lot of times and i go oh i want new like i'm obsessed with air max sneakers so i fucking buy a lot of sneakers um i'm not like a sneakerhead by any imag- like any stretch of the imagination but i really do like having nice and new sneakers and you know collecting them and keeping them clean and that kind of shit and i found myself like just like 
scrolling through eBay being like, oh, I found these. And then I'm like looking at them like, they're the fucking wrong size, stupid. Like, why would you buy those? And then in my head, I'm going like, no, buy them. Like, they're amazing. Look at those. Like, you know, like they, they only made, you know, a certain number of these. And, you know, uh, they don't do that colorway anymore and blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, stop obsessing over the next thing. Be content with what you have because, you know, not that long ago, you didn't have it. And it was among the things that you strove to be, you know, to get and and not even just material things, but just your station in life. So I, I hear it a lot when like Keith, when you say like I, I like spent a lot of time in life being like, I want to be in a band. I want to be in a band. And it's like I, I always think about like the things that mean the most to me now tend to be the things that have just been there. They're not things that I, you know, went after and actively pursued. It was the things that came naturally and the things that like, like, like Tommy, like what you were saying, like they were your friends first. Like these were the people you surrounded yourself with because you just clicked with them immediately. And that's why such great music came out of that. It's because of that comfortability and because of that bond and that friendship. And it's like, we work so hard to get things in life and, ultimately the the life we have is is pretty fucking awesome if you just take a step back and just and just think about it for a second and just really take a moment to reflect on what you have and you know how hard you work to get it so that's it that's all i got wow you, that's you've, heavy. You've done it again, man. <laughs> you've done it again. You, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start an offshoot podcast. It's called Stoicism by Doherty or some bullshit like that. <laughs> like it's this me is, talking. This is a new feature for the show we're trying out. Where Tommy just he just like brings it home at the end, and then we have like another discussion. So let me just say to I that. I love it. Now, <laughs> this is something I come back to a lot because for so much of my life, I was looking for something to fix how I felt, which was bad. You know, I I remember being like, I just need to be in a band. I need to be in a band and people will think I'm cool and I'll feel good. And, and the band will become famous and you know, all the dumb shit you think of. Uh, and then I'm in a band and I'm like, well, I'm not playing with the bands I want to play with. I'm not playing enough gigs in the city. The band doesn't sound exactly how I want it to. It's it's not good. It's not right. I'm not I'm not playing guitar. I'm not I'm not writing enough. I'm not the singer. It's no you know. So not it's never enough. Nothing is ever enough. And it's like you said, Tommy. Like for so long, I felt like I was never a part of anything, or I'm being kept out of things, or you know, just something's wrong with me. Nothing's ever right. But then I you you know you can turn that around and be like, wait, I've been in a ton of bands. I I have great friends. I've been on tours with those friends. I've done a lot of incredible things. Like it, I think it's all just about perception. You know, if you want to focus on negative things or what you don't want to have, that's going to be your life. Or you can turn it around and like focus on what you do have, which is like you said, the things around you, your friends, the thing you've done with your friends, all the good things you've built up. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's it really is a matter of it. And I, I I hate to go back to the meditation thing, but like taking that time to like just step back and appreciate it, it's so funny because like like my daughters now like when we get up early in the morning like they they'll get up at like six thirty or seven, so I'm like up like a full like half hour forty five minutes before them, and like they'll walk in the room and they'll see me with AirPods in, and they're just like, all right, Daddy's doing his thing, <laughs> 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 let him go because. 
he's a much nicer and sweeter and more fun person when I have that time. And if you're one of those people out there that thinks it's corny or thinks it's dumb or just uh, just recognize I was one of those people for sure and just just give it a try um, and don't give up after the first one. I, I did the first like four and I was like, oh, this is I still don't get it. And uh, I just hit on something that for some reason, honestly, it was it was like four seconds of like a, a 20 minute long thing. And it was enough to carry me through the rest of the day. And I was just like, you know what? There's something here. Like it's it, it's a nugget of something. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's enough for me to keep pursuing it. And um, I, I just think it's. It, especially now that we have this time to kind of be inside and and be with our families, um, you know, just just take that time to appreciate it. Because again, I I think we actually went over this a lot with Brad, but like, you don't know when the things you have that you think of your normal life are just going to disappear, you know, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's hokey and it's, it's, it's contrite. It's one of these things. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. It's like, yeah, but here's the thing. We have the benefit of being pretty rational people for the most part. And, and we can, we know that there's something coming. We know that this normalcy that we call our lives now there will be a phone call, an email, uh, a, a you know news that you just get, and it's gonna change everything. So, as banal and and as mundane you think your life is right now, appreciate that shit because you don't know when some fucking you know thunderclap fucking you know shit that's gonna come in that's gonna be a goddamn storm in your life like you you just like we we get so complacent i think one of the things that brad kept going over like from the the last one when we talked to brad from interpol was like you know bring back boredom be okay with not being completely entertained and like I I'm so I'm still guilty of it. And now at least that I'm a little bit more cognizant of it, but like, have you ever found yourself doing something like, you know, like a normal, like daily routine, like, you know, emptying the dishwasher or getting food ready or something like that. And you're like, I have to have something on. Yes. Like all the time. Yeah. I, 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 I've really tried to push myself to, to not have something on, even if it's like something as simple as like, I, I used to just put on like, like a post rock in the background. Like, all right, I'm going to listen to Caspian now, or, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I'm going to put on signal Hill and just kind of like zone out. And it's like, no, appreciate the moment you have right now. <laughs> Cause <laughs> it, it, it's, some of this is going to come crashing in a very near future. And, and you're gonna, you're gonna look back on those moments where you, you wasted time, even just being in the moment and it's incredibly difficult to do but if you can start to do it 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 becomes easier with time yeah i think i think that's the only reason why the um you know when we got into music in you know 99 to you know 2012 or whatever um everything was so successful as it was then um because there wasn't this oversaturation and constant, you know, stimulation of needing something or, or, you know, you, you just kind of, you just kind of did what came to you or you did what was naturally, you did what you wanted to do. But it was, I feel like it's a lot 
we're a lot less likely to have we're a lot further away from that than we think than we realize even with you know technology and the internet and things like that i just feel like stuff like that is you know to your point it's just people are too obsessed with constantly moving and not even in the right way but i feel like we're further from that than we realize oh yeah yeah, I keep thinking about the bring boredom back thing because I I have to have something on at every minute. Like even if I just, if, like if I'm brushing my teeth, I'm like, wait, I have to have the radio on or a podcast on. Like as I do it, like every minute has to be filled with something, and that can't be healthy, right? Keith, this is one of those things. I I don't know if you can relate to this, but like, um, do you, do you remember that? You know that stand up comedian, uh, Doug Stanhope? Yes. So like he talks a lot about like his drinking and drug use and stuff and like oh, yeah. his 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 stand up but he does this thing where he talks about he goes you know I have to drink myself to sleep at night because when I lay down and put my head on the pillow sober that's when the fucking circus starts like that's <laughs> when my brain goes into overdrive and he's like I I just wish I had control of it and I think the thing is is that ultimately we do have control of it you just have to be able to kind of you have to put yourself in the mindset of like I I have the ability and the the drive to do this. It's it's just a, a matter of like it's practice and and nobody wants to nobody wants to put in the work and it's it's because it's the work is shit. Yeah. Like it's it sucks. Oh, I know because I well you know I've done that. I I my life was Doug Stanhope's oh, yeah. just you know i built a fantasy world where i never had to see anybody and i just got messed up all the time for a long long time and you know well i've talked about that it getting over it was hard and if i want to get over having to fill every minute with uh podcasts and uh, youtube videos <laughs> of video game reviews and all the other shit that i watch i i could do it if i wanted oh no so, I, bro, i'm so guilty of it too though because i i just watched uh there's a channel on youtube that summoning salt i i watched this dude's videos about people that speed run old uh nintendo games oh yeah oh, and they're like, the yeah, best those are the best they're absolutely the best yeah oh and this kid yo this i, I i'm not trying to just, like this guy's not paying us or anything like that but this fucking kid's videos are so well produced and so well researched they are fucking insanely good uh, dude, the, the one about um uh mike tyson's punch out is really good the one about Super Mario is so intense because essentially people just find glitches in the game yeah. and then it, it, it's like they start to exploit these things and he get, he he uses them as touchstones. Like he'll be like, oh, that's when people started using the – and it's always like someone's Twitch username or something like that. And he's the like, method, that's when some, yeah. – like Yes. Every, yeah. He's like, and, and it's so cool, like that kind of stuff. But uh, it's just – I think it's important that we just – don't inundate ourselves with it. Bring boredom, Bring boredom back. back. That's going <laughs> to be go. our slogan. That's going to be our slogan. <laughs> All right. So, the, well, that's it. That's it. So, to, yeah, Tommy, yeah. Tommy M. Any anything? Any last words? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> just like to, I just like to urge everybody right now to, uh, you know, take a look at what's going on in the world and uh, make sure you're on the right side of things uh, when we when we go to look back at all this stuff. Uh, in the history books, uh, make sure that you were you were on the right side of things from from the jump, and uh, do what you can right now in your communities uh, to help everyone out. I mean, everything from DIY music and punk music um, 
I always say that uh, right now you can really tell the people who grew up listening to punk music and hardcore music and had that sense of community and those of uh, and those who didn't uh, because a lot of times those who didn't are the ones causing the problems are the racists are the shitheads um, so uh, you know I, I know I made a couple plugs on the podcast of stuff we have upcoming um, but you know, also like to urge people to take a look of uh, you know what you can do to help out your community, things you could donate to, and and things you could do to make this world better, and and kind of bring the the whole punk DIY mentality um, of you know fuck racist, fuck fascist uh, to the forefront. Absolutely, an important message because all the ideals I have and that I carry, I got from the scene, from hardcore music, from punk music, and. Shit, the the donations I made to the uh, different causes for things that are going on right now, like I got from the hardcore pages I follow on Instagram that have been posting them. So, I mean, the scene cares. It's it's crazy not to go out on another tangent here, but just um, texting um, with some friends uh, recently and and most recently just just kind of texted some friends from my first band that I haven't talked to since like middle school or whatever, but reached out to one of the guys there, the bass player. Uh, and I was just like, hey, man, I don't know if this is your number anymore, but remember when we were obsessed with anti-flag when we were, like, 13 years old? I was like, well, I would like to think that, you know, <laughs> that stupid music, you know, or what we would consider stupid now really, you know, built us into the people that we are today of being on the right side of history and on the right side of things. Um, but it's just it's just crazy kind of how it works out and... And how something so silly and so stupid of of music or a community growing up kind of shaped us all into these people who don't suck as adults. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, Tommy, I just want to thank you again for coming on. I've been a big Everyone Everywhere fan since the beginning. I look forward to more. And you know, I saw. I think I saw someone post on Centrifuge once. They said, "I've never seen a band accomplish so much while caring so little." And I thought that that was a perfect description. That's a perfect description, and that's a perfect note to end on. Absolutely. So thank you, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, like, share, subscribe, rate us, email us, write us messages, share us with other people. We need all that stuff. It helps us grow. Smash the like button. Smash the subscribe button. Absolutely. Absolutely. Smash it. So thank you. Let's get these folks some uh, me undies reads. Let's get them a blue chew uh, read. Um, let's get them a uh, Casper mattress read. So uh, oh, the, yeah. the likes and subscribes are very very important. Yeah, yo Tommy, imagine if we like started generating revenue instead of just paying for this. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Unlimited no. mattresses <laughs> and blue chews. <laughs> Thanks everybody, and until next time.